On February 24th, 1803, the Supreme Court of the United States became the ultimate arbiter of the constitutionality of American laws entirely through its own decision. On this day, the Supreme Court handed down its judgment in the case of Marbury v. Madison. This case, which was caused by the appointment of Federalist Judge William Marbury by Federalist President John Adams just two days before the inauguration of Democratic-Republican President Thomas Jefferson, saw the Supreme Court rule that Jefferson's Secretary of State, James Madison, was required to recognize Marbury's appointment. Furthermore, the Supreme Court declared that it had the final say on whether or not acts of Congress were unconstitutional. Over two centuries later, the Supreme Court continues to uphold or strike down laws depending on whether or not they view such laws as constitutional. Some of the most fascinating of these cases have revolved around the Bill of Rights. There have literally been too many cases for me to even scratch the surface here, but some have certainly been more famous than others. Arguably the most famous First Amendment case in recent memory is the 1969 case of Tinker v. Des Moines Independent Community School District, which ruled that students wearing black armbands to school in protest of the Vietnam War were protected by freedom of speech. In 2008, the case of District of Columbia v. Heller changed the government's interpretation of the Second Amendment, striking down D.C.'s handgun ban by holding that the right to bear arms is an individual right, not a right exclusive to a well-regulated militia. Certainly the most famous Fifth Amendment case is the 1966 case of Miranda v. Arizona, in which Ernesto Miranda's rights to remain silent and have an attorney present now referred to as Miranda rights, were found to have been infringed upon. Interestingly, the Ninth Amendment, which states that rights and immunities given to Americans are not limited to those enumerated in the Bill of Rights, is not often cited in Supreme Court cases. One rare instance of this was in a concurrence by Justice Arthur Goldberg in the 1965 case of Griswold v. Connecticut, which held that the sale and use of contraceptives is protected by an implied right to privacy. But there is one amendment in the Bill of Rights that the Supreme Court has never ruled on, the Third Amendment. The Third Amendment to the Constitution is as follows. No soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. This amendment was an obvious response by the Founding Fathers to the Quartering Acts. These laws, enacted by the British Parliament in the lead-up to the American Revolution, forced colonists in British America to quarter British soldiers to varying degrees. The Quartering Act of 1765 mandated, in the event of insufficient space in military barracks, that British soldiers be housed in vacant taverns and stables. The Quartering Act of 1774 expanded on the previous law, allowing British soldiers to be housed in private homes as well. During the American Civil War, both belligerents are believed to have violated the Third Amendment by quartering their soldiers in private homes, although homeowners in the Union were retroactively compensated after the war. 
Although the Supreme Court has never interpreted the validity or applicability of the Third Amendment, the Third Amendment was used in the aforementioned case of Griswold v. Connecticut to demonstrate that the Constitution expressed support for an individual's home being free from agents of the state. Lower courts have handled Third Amendment cases before. In 2015, Anthony Mitchell sued the police department of Henderson, Nevada after he was arrested for refusing to vacate his house when police wanted to use it as a lookout point. In the case of Mitchell v. Henderson, the U.S. District Court of Nevada ruled that Mitchell was not protected by the Third Amendment, which does not classify municipal police officers as soldiers. The highest court to rule on a Third Amendment case was a court of appeals, the second highest federal court after the Supreme Court. The case in question handled a, dis a dispute between striking prison guards and the New York Army National Guard over the forced housing of the latter in the residences of the former. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 86th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Spotify for Podcasters. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Spotify for Podcasters. The 1970s saw a major upheaval in the New York State prison system. This was undeniably a result of the notorious Attica prison riot. From September 9th to September 13th, 1971, the prison in Attica, New York was engulfed by riots of over 1,000 prisoners in response to the prison's abysmal living conditions. One prominent member of this uprising was Jerome Washington, a teacher and writer from Trenton, New Jersey, who was later found to have been wrongfully convicted of murder. After beating one guard to death, inmates took control of the prison and 42 prison guards and other employees were taken hostage. The next four days would see intense negotiations that were heavily covered by local and national media. These negotiations ultimately fell apart and New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller sent in the National Guard to retake the prison by force. In the ensuing siege, 10 prison guards and 33 prisoners were killed before control over the prison was re-established. Autopsy reports found that 9 of the guards and 30 of the prisoners had been killed by police and National Guard fire and the event has since been seen as a crucial failure of the New York State Department of Corrections. Consequently, the New York State government made a slew of changes to its prison system. These included providing more hygiene products to inmates, providing access to education in prison, and increasing the racial diversity of prison staff. 
Many of these reforms were very unpopular among corrections officers who saw the changes as diminishing their own power and authority. When salary negotiations between the corrections union and the department took place in December of 1978, the union rejected the previously negotiated 7% raise, requesting an even greater raise in order to offset the alleged disempowering of officers. The state refused to budge on the salary issue, but offered to reopen negotiations in the next year if the 7% raise was agreed to. The negotiating team reluctantly accepted this offer, but the union at large voted to reject it. As a result, on April 18, 1979, the 7,000 prison guards working in the New York State Department of Corrections went on strike. One prison impacted by the strike was the Mid-Orange Correctional Facility located in Warwick, New York. As stipulated in their contracts, officers at this prison were required to exclusively live at the Upper Staff Building, an apartment-style housing complex about a quarter mile away. Each resident of this building received a bedroom with a bed and a desk and a bathroom, while multiple officers shared a communal kitchen and living room. Each month, $36 were deducted from the officers' salaries as rental costs. On April 19, 1979, the day after the strike began, New York Governor Hugh Carey deployed the New York Army National Guard to the Mid-Orange Correctional Facility in order to act as prison guards in the absence of striking corrections officers. Initially, National Guardsmen slept in administrative office buildings as they lacked a proper residence area. After six days, the decision was made to evict the striking corrections officers from their apartments. Upon returning from the picket line to the housing complex, officers found they were locked out of their apartments and that the guardsmen had taken up residence in their rooms. After being permitted to enter their rooms and retrieve personal items, two officers, Marianne Engblom and Charles Palmer, claimed that some of their items had been stolen and their rooms ransacked. After the strike ended on May 5, 1979, Engblom and Palmer sued Governor Carey and the New York State Department of Corrections, claiming that their Third Amendment rights had been violated since National Guard soldiers were being housed in their residences without the consent of the tenants. The United States District Court for the Southern District of New York ruled against Engblom and Palmer, acknowledging that the National Guardsmen were legally soldiers, but also that the two officers were tenants of a building owned by the Department of Corrections. Additionally, the District Court held that the officers had waived their right to this employee housing by striking. On March 1, 1982, the case was successfully appealed to the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. The case of Engblom v. Carey revolved around three fundamental questions. First, are National Guardsmen to be considered soldiers under the Third Amendment to the Constitution? Second, is the Third Amendment incorporated to the states? That is, are citizens protected from quartering of soldiers by state governments or exclusively by the federal government? Third, are tenants, 
not just homeowners, protected under the Third Amendment. All three judges on the panel of the Court of Appeals agreed on the answers to the first two questions, recognizing that National Guardsmen are soldiers and that the 14th Amendment's incorporation clause had successfully applied the Third Amendment to state governments. The main argument was over whether or not Marianne Engblom and Charles Palmer, as tenants of a housing complex owned by the state of New York, had authority over their residences under the Third Amendment. On May 3, 1982, in a two-to-one decision, the Court of Appeals ruled in favor of Engblom and Palmer. In his majority opinion, Justice Walter Mansfield wrote that, as individuals with, quote, a lawful interest in their living quarters sufficient to entitle them to exclude others, tenants are considered to have legal authority over their residences, including in terms of the Third Amendment. Chief Justice Wilfred Feinberg joined Justice Mansfield to form a majority. Justice Irvin Kaufman dissented, saying that the corrections officers, quote, were not leases of ordinary private property, but were given an option to live in staff housing as employees of a highly specialized institution with a compelling interest in security, and as a result, were subject to carefully circumscribed rules and regulations. Upon this ruling by the Court of Appeals, the case was remanded back to the District Court. Amazingly, even with the decision by the Court of Appeals, the District Court still found in favor of the State of New York. This time, they simply found that, according to the doctrine of qualified immunity, the New York state government had not knowingly violated Marianne Engblom and Charles Palmer's rights. Since there was no Third Amendment case law in New York regarding the eviction of civil employees by the state government, the district court ruled that it was impossible for the state to know it was infringing on the officer's rights at all. Therefore, the state government was not found to be liable for evicting them. It should be noted that, since Engblom v. Carey was decided by the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit and not the Supreme Court, the holding of the case is only a binding precedent in the states of New York, Connecticut, and Vermont. However, due to the lack of Third Amendment case law on the books anywhere else in America, the case is usually considered by jurists and legal scholars elsewhere in the U.S. Though the district court sided against them both before and after the Court of Appeals decision, it seems like the officers of the New York State Department of Corrections had the last laugh. Under the tough-on-crime administrations of Governors Mario Cuomo and George Pataki, New York ruled back many of the prison reforms it had passed in the aftermath of the Attica prison riot. Additionally, the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, passed by Congress and signed into law by President Bill Clinton, struck a major blow to prison reform by slashing prison education budgets. Between 1971 and 1999, New York's prison population ballooned from 12,500 to 72,600. In recent years, prison reform has made a resurgence in New York. In 2015, a prison guard was convicted of assaulting an inmate for the first time in New York's history after a prisoner at Attica was brutally beaten by guards. Third Amendment case law, meanwhile, has not changed nearly this much. 
Perhaps unsurprisingly, Engblom versus Carey remains one of the only Third Amendment cases on the books in America. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to spotify.com slash podcasters. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.